The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 11. And uh, many of you are probably wondering why I didn't have you turn to the book of Haggai. Uh, We're going to continue in our series in Haggai next week, but uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit instructed me to pause that series uh, so that we can address something as a family. So if you're new to Love City, uh, we take the biblical idea of the church being the family of God quite literally and very seriously. And uh, we as a church had something really hard happen yesterday, so I believe our Father wants me to speak to it from the scriptures uh, so we can be unified and biblical as we process these circumstances. Um, my intention is to be shorter than usual. A lot of you don't believe that for good reason. Uh, but I want to try to leave some time at the end uh, for anyone who has questions that may rise around these things uh, for you to be able to ask those because I think that may happen. Uh, don't feel pressure to come up with a question. Just want to leave the door open for that if they're there, Okay. Uh, For everyone listening, please know that uh, this is not something we're necessarily going to do every time something difficult happens among us. Uh, But as I was praying last night, the the Lord specifically instructed me to speak to this and what scriptures to speak from. So um, I'm just going to obey him, okay? So the the difficult thing that I'm talking about is that yesterday morning at around 9.30, Audie Benson crossed the finish line of her race on this earth. Uh, When she did that, she beheld the full and unveiled glory of King Jesus, and uh, the burdens of this world are no longer hers to carry. To that I say amen. For those of you who may not know, uh, Audie was in her early 20s. She's had a long, difficult battle with cancer, uh, and that battle for her has now been won. We're thankful. Uh, While we rejoice in her final victory, those of us left here are also experiencing the sadness and the sense of loss that comes with death. As we will see today from God's word, this is not a lack of true faith or belief in the promise of God that those who trust in Jesus for salvation will spend eternity with him. Death is a result of sin in the world. And every time someone crosses into eternity, there's a part of us that knows it's not supposed to be like this. We can rejoice as we recognize the hope that Christ and his gospel provides, but we can also mourn the painful reality of temporary separation from those that we love. And these two are not mutually exclusive, and we're not limited to one emotional response at a time. And so what I want to do is show you from the word of God what I mean. I said a lot there. I made some claims Let's back it up from God's word, okay? So I hope you turn to John 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 44 together. If you don't have a Bible, we have them for free out at the Connection Kiosk. Please pick one up. We would like to bless you with that. If you don't have something to follow along right now as we're studying, the verses will be on the screens. Okay? Like I said, John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Sometimes Jesus just has to go on ahead and make it plain for us, right? Amen. There he is. Okay. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Doesn't sound like the doubting Thomas there. He's a little more intense in this story. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there in the house, the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Praise God for his word. Now, one of the most difficult things about suffering and pain and death in this life is the dizzying and sometimes disorienting effect 
that those things can have. It can seem like doctrines and beliefs that we stand on as a firm foundation. They can shake beneath us as we process scenarios where there's intense suffering. And this is not just limited to people dying, but all kinds of hard circumstances. Many times we find ourselves asking questions we normally wouldn't. And sometimes we don't even want to ask those questions. But the raw reality of the pain makes it seem impossible to push these questions from our mind. I, I personally have provided pastoral care for hundreds of people through traumatic and tragic situations. And I've bet my entire life on the fact that Jesus is real and is actually who he said he was. And that God's word is true and trustworthy. All that's true, and yet I found the questions forming in my mind yesterday. Why? Why her? Why when she's so young, such just an absolute ray of sunshine and sweet as can be? And when it comes to why God allows suffering in painful circumstances, we cannot possibly know what all his reasons are. But we can be sure what they are not. And we can draw those from this text, and so... We're going to do that. The first reason I'm going to give you, one reason it's not, is, is it's not because he's not powerful. Probably could have polished that up some more, but we changed the sermon last night, so there might be some glitches here in the connectivity, but that's okay. I'm just preaching God's word. It's not because he's not powerful. Many doubt the power of God, and they would point to suffering, and they would say, well, if, if he is so powerful, why doesn't he do something, right? And the people of Jesus' day had the same Question. If you look at verse 37, uh, some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Well, let's just answer that. The answer is yes, he could have. He could have done what he did with the centurion's servant. He didn't even need to go. He could have spoke a word, couldn't he? And Lazarus would have never died. He could have been healed before that time came. So some doubt, many doubt. Sometimes, if we're honest, we are tempted to doubt the power of God. But let me read you verse 25. This is split between two pages in my Bible, so that'll be fun. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Verse 26, just for good measure. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus makes some big claims there, doesn't he, in verse 25. That's big talk. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't just talk. Then he backs it up. When he rolls up to the tomb and he tells them, move the stone. And then he speaks with a loud voice and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. All of a sudden, all the big things Jesus said, there's not a whole lot of question left whether or not he is exactly who he said he is. The resurrection and the life. That he is not short on power to bring healing and hope. This God who displayed his glorious power by bringing Lazarus up out of the grave is also the one, by the way, who spoke all things into existence. And so what we can ascertain from all of that is a lack of power on God's part is never the issue. We are not serving an impotent God. We are not serving a God who lacks the strength to bring something to the situation. That's not the issue. The second thing we know, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't care. Let me read you verses 32 through 38 once again. 
Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this also this man also from dying. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Twice here we are told that Jesus was deeply moved by the situation. In verse 35, which is the shortest verse in all of the scriptures, Jesus wept. It tells us everything we need to know about whether or not God cares about our suffering. Jesus The incarnate Lord of glory, he cried real tears over the pain of his people. And so it's not that God is not powerful and it's not that God does not care. Those cannot be the reasons. It's also not because he doesn't understand our pain. It's not because the Lord lacks the ability to understand our pain. I think there's many ways, guys, that we can minimize God's experience of pain because he's God. We can falsely think that because he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful, it doesn't hurt him as bad as it hurts us. It would kind of like be the difference between Superman getting hit by a bus and you getting hit by a bus, right? You might think, yeah, I mean, Superman might feel it, but he's not going to feel it like I'm going to feel it. But what we must remember is that God experiences the painful results of sin to a degree that we cannot possibly imagine. We are all aware of many tragic and difficult things in this life, some of which hurt us more than others. But God is aware of every single painful result of sin in every single square inch of his creation through all of history. And the pinnacle of this, this ability for God to be able to understand what it's like for us to experience pain, the pinnacle of this would have been Christ on the cross. Because when someone we love dies physically, it hurts because we love them and because we're connected to them. We care for them. God the Father and Christ the Son have a love and relational connection that is infinitely stronger, and I don't say infinitely unless I mean it, because C.S. Lewis will yell at me about it, infinitely stronger. The connection between God and Christ And it's infinitely deeper than any human love or connection ever could be. Are you with me on this? I'm building a case for something. The connection between Christ and God the Father is infinitely stronger than any connection relationally, any any love that you could possibly have for another human. You understand that? You can't imagine it. This is something you'll have to grab by faith because you might think, well, I love my kids or I love my wife or I love whoever I, I feel like I have the most intense love for. It'd be really hard to imagine loving somebody more than that. Well, take that. Times at times infinity. I know you can't really do that. All you math whizzes in here. My son Max will do it. He didn't understand that yet. He times everything times infinity. Try to win the argument. Times at times infinity, that's what you got when you're looking at the love and relational connection between God and Christ. So for God the Father to endure the death of his son, but also the co-member of the eternal trinity, would have been an agony that we could never even begin to comprehend. And for Jesus the Son to endure the wrath of his Father that our sin caused 
would have been a depth of pain and suffering we cannot possibly understand. Because God's ways are higher than ours, and because of our inability to see the totality of all that God is doing and working for our good and for his glory, we will never see all the reasons why he allows what he allows when he allows it. We'll never see all the reasons. However, many times in his great mercy towards us, he will show us glimpses into his sovereign plan, and he'll allow us to see the bits and pieces that we can understand so that we may rejoice in those. I'm very thankful for that mercy upon us. And by the way, I just want you to know it's, it's perfectly okay for us to humbly ask God to do that, for him to pull back the veil and help us to see how it is he is working good in the midst of things that hurt. It's okay to ask him for that. You have to do it humbly, though, because you, may, you, you have to come into that prayer understanding you may not be able to. You, he could pull back the veil, and you may still not be able to see the dots connect of all that God is working and all that God is doing. And if you trace the, the plan of redemption, the arc of redemption through the scriptures, this principle is true over and over again. It's true here. I mean, <laughs> the fact that Jesus bringing Lazarus up out of the grave, there's lots of things he was doing. There's lots of things, you know, he, he said to his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died so that you can see the glory of God in him was about to happen. But in addition to that, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the thing that got the Pharisees so riled up. They said, listen, he's bringing people up out of the dead. If he keeps doing this kind of stuff, everybody's going to follow him. We're going to lose our status. we got to kill this guy. This was, his disciples were pleading with him, don't go back there, man. They just tried to stone you the last time you were there. What are you doing? And he knew going into this thing. He knew that what he was going to do was going to be the thing that was going to seal his fate. Lazarus coming up out of the tomb is what got the gears finally moving for Christ to end up on the cross. Now, when Lazarus was laying sick in the bed, and when Lazarus took his last breath before Jesus came and brought him up out of the grave, and they were preparing him in his burial clothes, there was no way those people that were involved in that situation could have looked forward and understood all of the mechanisms that were moving in God's plan of redemption, and that Jesus was going to come, it was going to be four days later, and it was gonna, that was going to make it even more crazy, because everyone there at that time believed that people's spirit would hover above their body for three days, and if, they, so if, they, if something was going to happen, it was going to happen in three days, but four days were done, right? The old King James says, when Martha said, there's going to be a smell, the old King James says, by now he stinketh. All of the pieces were exactly as they were for a reason. And God is orchestrating things at a level. Will, you know, some people think when we cross into eternity and this whole thing's said and done, we're going we're gonna to know so much more of the mind of God. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure we'll get to ask questions. We'll understand things we never could have understood here, but... I am thoroughly convinced we are never, ever going to come anywhere close to his level. I don't care how glorified these brains are. And I say amen. That's why I worship him. That's why I bow at his feet. Because he's God and I'm not. And hallelujah to that. Amen. And so I told you that it's not because he's not powerful. It's not because he doesn't care. And it's not because he doesn't understand what it's like to hurt. These are not the reasons why God allows what he allows when he allows it. These are not the reasons. And because that's the case, 
we take those things and then we move into, okay, so now what, what then shall we do? How do we respond when we're in the midst of agonizing situations, whatever they are, whatever the pain point is, whatever's causing that difficulty? How do we respond? Well, the first thing is we mourn. And this is why I'm telling you today, it's not a lack of faith for us to mourn, to, to feel the pain, to cry, or even, even to feel angry in the midst of suffering. Here's why I'm telling you today, and I've, I've, I've been in movements and I've heard preachers teach that to, to mourn is to, is to have a lack of faith. Because if you really believe that, you know, on the other, on the other side of eternity is presence of Christ and everything that we're all racing for, then, then what is there to be sad about? And I'm going to be honest with you. Because of the intensity of my personality, I'm, I'm probably more prone to that attitude. Let's just buck up and be happy. The simple fact is, when we die, we win, right? However, it's easy to talk like that until it gets close, right? That's when you got to really start dealing with stuff. Really run your theology through the ringer. Put it through the meat grinder, see what comes out the other side. And that's good for us, by the way. It's real good. Here's the reason I'm telling you it's not a lack of faith for us to mourn. Because Jesus knew. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he still wept. Did he not? Do you think Jesus knew what was going to happen when he got there? He absolutely did. He was talking smack about it. Because he gets to, because he's Jesus, right? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he was only moments from doing it. And yet, he still wept. So did Jesus have a lack of faith in experiencing the emotion, in mourning, in weeping? Was that a lack of trust and belief? I don't think so. I said even feeling angry in the midst of suffering. It's interesting. The, the language used when it says that Jesus was deeply troubled, uh, there's a portion in there where it talks about him groaning. That, that, the Greek word for there is, it's like the snorting of a horse. Like when, it, you know, when a horse, I'm not, I almost tried to do it. That would have been really bad. Let's not try that. You guys know what I'm talking about. When a horse is kind of throwing its head around, it's, it's blowing through its nose, make, you know, like it's got an attitude, it's angry. That's, that's, that is the connotation of the word. And so there's this idea, there's some commentators that say, Jesus' demeanor walking up to this tomb would have been less um, being, being really sad and kind of somber and almost more, one commentator said, more like a wrestler walking into the wrestling ring. Like he was about to do something about this. He, he, there, was a, there was a sadness, but also an anger at the result of sin in the world. And, and we know that in grief, oftentimes there is anger. It's, it's all mixed in there, sometimes hard to pull apart. Uh, and it's okay to be angry, but we need to point that anger in the right place. It needs to be pointed towards sin and brokenness and the works of the enemy. We can know that there is eternal hope for every man and every woman in Christ. We can know that, but still weep. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he wept. We can know that death is the final victory. We can know that in Corinthians, we're quoting the Old Testament, it says, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? We can trust, 
with all that is in us that yes, our final victory comes when we take our last breath on this earth and we are in the presence of our precious master. We can believe all that with all that is in us and still weep. And it's not a lack of faith. We can know that this life is but a vapor and we're just exiles on a journey to our true home but still feel the pain of loss when people get to go home before us. That's okay. Are you sure? Jesus wept, man. I got one verse for you. It's two words. Jesus wept. We also know that it's not a lack of faith to acknowledge sorrow because in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul commands the church, commands us, to mourn with those who mourn and to weep with those who weep. Jesus did, and the more that we are shaped into his image, the more we're going to genuinely do the same. There's something to that. The more you become like Jesus, the more you have an ability and a willingness to feel the pain of others. Even if something doesn't personally strike a nerve for you, the very fact that Someone that you're connected to in the body of Christ is hurting. That would be enough. So we mourn. And we acknowledge pain and sorrow. We don't stuff it. We don't deny it. We feel it. Just like our Savior did. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope. The second thing we do in response is we trust. We mourn, but we also trust. And we stand in faith and hope upon the promises of God. Let me read you again verses 20 through 27. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And here's what I want to show you, friends. She clearly did not think Lazarus was coming up out of the grave. How do I get that? Well, first of all, when Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again, what'd she say? Well, I know that in the resurrection, he's going to rise. I know that. She was not thinking what Jesus was thinking, right? And if you go to verse 39, he says, roll the stone away, get the stone out of the way of the tomb. Who was the person that said, um, Master, it's been four days. He's going to smell. You remember who that was? That was Martha. Okay, so right now in this interaction with Jesus, the first thing she says is, Teacher, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so that fact is hanging there. But then at the same time, we know that she does not think what's going to happen right now. It's been four days. Tradition says this is not a thing. It's not going to happen. So she's convinced, man, this, the, the hope of her seeing her brother again is going to be in that resurrection one day. And yet, 
What is, what is her response? What does she say? Right after she says that, you know, if you, if you had been here, Lord, it, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, he wouldn't have died. She says this in verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Many times people read this and they think that, well, okay, Martha's on board. She knows. Well, she's kind of asking Jesus to do something. Like, like let's, let's get Lazarus up out of the grave. It's very clear she did not think that was going to happen. And yet she's still speaking this faith-filled declaration of who Jesus is, that even now at this point, Lord, in her mind, it's not that he would ask for Lazarus to be raised. That's not even on the table. But still she's acknowledging the sovereignty, the connection that Jesus has with God and that he will do anything that he asks him. And then she goes on to this profession of faith when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he asks, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha was weeping. Martha was mourning. Martha was struggling with the frustrating feeling that if Jesus would have just been there, her brother wouldn't have died. And yet at the same time, at the very same time, these faith-filled statements are coming out of her mouth. I know whatever you ask, the Lord's going to do. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the one who comes into the world. It's not one or the other. There's both. They're there, and they're being acknowledged. We don't have to stuff one to have the other be in place. It's all there. It's all happening. We can mourn and feel the disjointed sadness of a world that has been broken by sin, but we can also, at the very same time, stand in faith, trusting that Jesus will one day undo all that sadness. And we get to a glimpse of that because of Lazarus, because of what he does here. That's part of what Jesus was doing in his whole ministry, part of what Jesus was doing in coming and healing the blind and the lame and, and, and bringing hearing to deaf ears. Part of what he was doing was showing this ultimate redemptive intention that he was going to come and undo every single aspect of brokenness that sin had brought into the world, even to the point of bringing up Lazarus Lazarus that stinketh from four days in the grave. He was, he was tilting his hand. He was foreshadowing this reality that the redemption he was bringing, that all of the brokenness was going to be undone. The effects of sin were not going to last. Hallelujah. I hope that matters to you today. I hope of all the hopes you're hoping, that is your greatest the one you cling to with the most tenacity. We can acknowledge our sorrow, but at the very same time rejoice in the privilege of an opportunity to persevere because we know that tribulation is the only way that gives us, it's the only chance we have to persevere. And persevere, when we persevere in perseverance, it develops character in us, and that character turns into hope, and that hope will not disappoint. That's what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans 5. So we mourn, but we also, at the very same time, we trust. And lastly, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. In Matthew 5, Jesus says a very curious thing. I don't know, I don't know how many of us have caught this. It's, it's really counterintuitive. He tells us this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
I think if we're honest, many of us struggle to functionally believe this. I think many of us believe something closer to this. Blessed are those who never mourn, for they will have no need to be comforted. I want you to run yourself through that ringer. Let's, let's really think about this, because most of us, at least at some level, believe it would be better to not ever struggle with sorrow or feel the weight of pain and suffering. I mean, how many of you, if you're being honest, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, okay, I've got two options for you today, you can have a really tough day where you're absolutely going to need the comfort of the Lord to make it today, or you can have a kind of an easy, more relaxing day. Right? Which one you choose? Well, <laughs> I think most of us know which, which way we'd go. But we need to check ourselves on this belief that it'd be better not to ever struggle with sorrow or to feel the weight of suffering. We need to ask ourselves, is, is that true? Is it true that if God would grant us by his great power and mercy a life completely devoid of struggling and suffering, sorrow in all its many forms, would that, in fact, be better for us? I think according to Jesus, when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, I think the clear answer to that is no. It's, it wouldn't be better. According to Jesus, we're blessed when we mourn because, why? Because we will be comforted. And I know some of you are still running this around in your head, like, but hold on, like, just forget the mourning part, then I don't need the comforting. But there's something in the comforting. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But the question is, how is that better than no difficulty in the first place? That's, that's hard to conceptualize. Well, when our comfort comes from the Holy Spirit, who points us to Jesus and the precious promise of eternal life with him, what happens when the comfort, I'm going to say that again, I, I wanna, don't miss, this is real important. When our comfort comes from the Holy Spirit, who points us to Jesus and the precious promise of eternal life with him, it opens our eyes once more to the reality that we are sojourners in a foreign land, that this is not our home, and it severs the ties that bind our heart to this Babylon that we live in. It is often through suffering and struggle and loss that we are shaken awake from the stupor of satisfaction with this broken world. We can often be so distracted and deluded by the temporary trappings of the here and now that we feel no earnest desire for our eternal home, for the full redemption and the glorious unhindered relationship with our Father that we have been promised. Many of you have heard that C.S. Lewis said, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, that the most probable explanation is we weren't made for this world or that we were made for another world. How many of you have heard that quote before? If you find, something, if you find a desire in yourself that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is you were made for another world. M many of you have heard this, okay? But friends, what a terrifying reality it is if we find that we have no such desire in ourselves. And that terrifying reality is the place where many of us end up. We strive and strain and do all that we can many times to build lives insulated 
from difficulty. And in that, we can be lulled into a a very dangerous sense of satisfaction with things we never were meant to be satisfied by. We should be clawing and groaning and groping this entire life, but not after some way to build walls around ourselves to create a comfortable existence here, but we should be groaning and groping and striving for that great eternal promise, that heavenly perfect country that we were made for. We should find ourselves perpetually agitated here. Never okay with it. Obedient to it, right? But never okay with it. God will use our sadness and our mourning to reorient our desires. And we should always share the same duality and struggle that Paul did when he declared that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What he's saying there is, as long as I wake up, God grants me breath for another day. I know that he's left me here for the mission of making Christ known. But to die would be gain. And friends, we can read that. We can nod our heads to it. But what I'm asking you to do is to really push yourself. And what I'm saying is the situation with Audie this weekend should push us. It should be very difficult for us to have something that close happen and not think about the eternal ramifications, not place ourselves in the situation. Because here's the reality. I met with her a month and a half ago. She was sitting in the hospital bed. She hadn't lost her hair yet. I couldn't believe how happy she was. I mean, I'm talking about, like, for those of you that are a little on the grumpier end of the personality spectrum, she'd be the kind that would annoy you because she's just that, like a ray of sunshine. What's that movie with uh, all the different emotions? Somebody, uh, Inside Out? Okay, she's the sunbeam one, okay? And some, some of you, you know, some of you are the blue one that complains a lot, but the Lord's going to keep helping you. But she, I mean, I'm just, I'm telling you, man. And she was a ray of sunshine to everybody on that floor. And when I met with her that day, prayed with her, anointed her with oil, the, her statement was, I'm believing God to heal me. And, and she wanted to be here to continue to be on mission. But the thing that happened is over time, as the pain got worse and worse, and it got to the point where she couldn't move without crying out in pain, the people that were with her right at the end said, in no uncertain terms, she was, she was ready. Her connection and her desire to be here was severed. And what I'm asking you is, First of all, if you fear death, what does that say about the reality of eternity for you? If you're not afraid of death, but you're not necessarily looking forward to it in any kind of capacity, what does that say? And if you really run yourself through the grid of Paul's statement, to live is Christ, to die is gain, where do you land? Do you, would you ever, would you ever pray something like, God, keep me here every day you need me, but the day you don't need me, I would like to come home. And you can decide what you want about it. I just think that's probably the right place to land. I think that probably reflects the kind of affections that we should have. 
where we miss the blessing of mourning oftentimes. I'll say that again. Where we miss the blessing of mourning oftentimes is when we seek comfort somewhere other than in the presence and the promises of God. Has anybody here ever sought comfort somewhere other than the presence and promises of God, other than myself? You'll tell the truth. Okay. You definitely miss the blessing of mourning when you do that. Because what that does is it only adds to the sorrow and the suffering. But thankfully, Jesus has shown us a better way. When Jesus brought Lazarus up from the dead, he did so knowing that it would be the final straw that stirred those religious leaders to seek his death. And when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, and crucified by men whom he'd created, by the way, he gave us the most vibrant example of God's ability to take something tragic and sad and use it for the good of those who love him. Because friends, everybody but Jesus was in the same boat on that day. All the disciples were watching all of this happen in, in just aghast disbelief that the one who just days before had called Lazarus up out of the grave four days after he was dead, that somehow Roman soldiers were subduing him Beating him, tearing his beard out of his face, running nails through his hands and feet. How could this be? How could God do this? How could God allow this? But again, friends, it's that limited sight. They couldn't see all the dots that God could see because God was doing something in allowing those men to torture his son. God was doing something in allowing his blood to flow down that cross. Because you see, God could see three days ahead of that. And he could see 2,000 years ahead of that to hear right now that there would be a bunch of people sitting in this room right now, listening to God's word, being stirred in their hearts, that they would come here week after week being called to gospel mission, that they would go out into their lives and preach the good news of the gospel. And Jesus did all that he did for this joy set before him, looking far ahead, all down throughout history, to people that would come to faith in him, that would obey him, that would trust him and be saved by him, and then go and tell the good news of his gospel to others and then teach them how to do the same. God could see all of that. He could see all how the gears interlinked and all, all the plan of redemption, how this, this tapestry he was weaving, how this thread all the way over here connects to this one and this picture forms. We can't see it. But friends, we've been shown enough in God's word to trust it. I know there's so many things right now in your life that don't make sense. So many things you can't figure out how God would allow this. And dear friend, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to trust. You, you can mourn the sadness. Do that. Quit stuffing it. Quit hiding it. Quit lying about it. Quit saying everything's fine when people ask you. Mourn, weep, but trust and rejoice in hope. That's the only way forward. Other than that, you're going to stay stuck right where you're at. Broken and hurting, unable to move forward. I praise God for the example of the cross because that, dear friends, is the way that we're saved. God knew what was going on that day. God knew there was going to be you and me, wretched sinners, 
with no hope of saving ourselves, that we're going to need to be able to reach out in faith and trust in the finished work of someone else because we could never buy ourselves back from the taskmaster of sin and death. We could never rescue ourselves from the darkness and the slavery of sin. We needed a rescuer. Jesus is that rescuer. He is that savior. And God absolutely has proven. He doesn't just say stuff. Jesus said some wild stuff before he brought Lazarus out of the grave, didn't he? Did he? He did. But then he brought Lazarus up out the grave, man. Jesus said a bunch of wild stuff about being the way, the truth, and life, the only way to God. But then he let Roman executioners nail him to a tree and murder him, and three days later came up out of the grave himself. Woo! You get to talk smack when you follow through like that. Dear friends, what I'm asking you is, is will his follow-through carry into your life today? Will his follow-through affect your faith and your ability to trust him in the midst of whatever agony it is that you're traversing right now in your life? Will, 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 will his faithfulness, will it be able to bring an answer to those questions that come and nag at your mind when you're in the midst of intense suffering? I hope it will for all of us. May it be so. May we mourn like Jesus, allowing ourselves to acknowledge and feel the weight of sorrow, but at the same time, at the same time, standing in the precious hope of God's eternal promises. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. I'm, I join Jesus in being glad that he was not there when Lazarus died so that he could come along four days later and raise him up from the grave, showing us, Lord, that what we expect, the limits of, of what we believe you can do, they mean nothing. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for showing us this glimpse into the reality of the fact that you are not a cold, separated God who doesn't care about what it is we feel, but Lord, you feel it too. I thank you so much for those two words that Jesus wept. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for how it sets us free. Thank you for what it means about you. Thank you for how it shows us, God, how compassionate and kind and gentle and loving and good you really are. Thank you at the very same time, in the very same event, you show us how powerful you are when Lazarus comes forth, all bound up in burial clothes. Thank you that you are mighty, but you're also tender and you care. Lord, we need that. You're a good father. You're a perfect father. Lord, uh, we pray right now for every single person affected by the fact that Audie has won her race. And we just ask God that these principles, these truths from your word, that they would seat themselves in their hearts. We ask that every person that's been affected by this, God, that, that they would not turn to some other source of comfort, but that they would draw upon the best comfort of the Holy Spirit, and that they would be pointed to you, Lord Jesus. They would be pointed to the eternal promise of restored relationship with you, of every tear being wiped from every eye. God, we have an option every single time we encounter difficulty and sorrow in this life, every time those questions come and nag 
at our minds. We can run from you. We can delude ourselves. We can distract ourselves. We can go from you or we can press in closer to you. We can be shaken from that stupor of satisfaction. We can know how much, once again, we need you. We can be reminded of our desperation without you. And we can cling to you. God, may that be our reaction. Not just in this situation, but in all of the rest of the times that we're going to suffer and experience the sorrow of the effects of sin in this life. God, help us, please. Help us, Lord, in a real way to be able to join Paul in the sentiment that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. God, many of us, we can get to the live is Christ part, but for many of us, to die is gain. That's just out of reach. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to minister to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Shape and form our thinking and form our hearts, God. Sever the affections to this world that cause us to have a lack of affection for your kingdom and for that future promise of standing in the unveiled glory of your face, to be joined with every tribe, nation, and tongue, declaring your great worth, your majesty, and your beauty for all eternity. God, may we yearn for that great and glorious day where we stand in your throne room unhindered from your presence. But God, until then, may we not be so focused there that we forget every day you wake us up, you've called us to be on a mission to let more and more and more people know, as many people as we possibly can, that that hope is available for them as well, that eternal hope in Christ is available to them. God, may our hearts burn with passion for your mission and may our hearts ache with desire to be with you forever. We love you. We thank you that all this is actually possible. Lord, let us learn from Martha's example. Help us to mourn well, not as those who have no hope. We love you. We exalt you. We thank you that you've promised to hear these prayers. We're counting on it, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.